This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Holding is understanding how the infinite light becomes matter. As we're discussing, infinite light becoming a matter. And the way it working is via a filtering process where the light is filtered out in order for there to be a recipient, which is the you know physical world. So that's the that's basically where we're holding. So we had an idea like this. There's there's this you know radiating light that radiates out. The light is oneness, oneness radiating out into ten spheros. Okay, those ten spheres then differentiate in the world of. So this is the world of. Uh, yeah, let's just get those worlds demarcated again. Okay, this is the world of of Atsilus. This is the world of Berea. This is the world of Yitzira. Yitzira. And this is the world of Asia. And in this world, the ten spheros differentiate. So here are the ten spheros united. Ten spheres are united. Here are the ten spheres. Ten spheres are differentiated. And here in Yitzira, this is now the one to one. The one to one connection between how things appear down here. So, for example, if you have in the world of Asiya, let's say that's our globe. If you have in the world of Asiya, um, let's say water, so then somewhere in Yitzira will be water. If you have an animal, like a little sheep, okay, you're going to have a little sheep in the world of Yitzira, if you have a tree, you're going to have a tree. Okay? That's how it works. It's clear? On the higher level, all these angelic bottom line forms exist in the world of Berea, but but in a holographic way. So if this is let there be animals upon the earth, so this would also include the sea, and it would include the tree. But as it goes, it would finally stop here. That beam that's shooting through the system would stop here. And that whole system of conduit, well, we'll discuss in a minute, but it would stop here. And then you'd see a sheep here. And when that sheep walks around, it's really walking around being guided by... The sheep up there, or maybe vice versa. Uh, the tree would be, let there be vegetation upon the earth. It's going to make its way all the way to the tree. And then there will be a tree, okay, etc. The water is being beamed down from the minerals. Mineral, let there be. And hence you have water in the physical world. Yes?
Okay, so it, the angelic, uh, in the angelic form in Yitzira, do the Yitzhahora and the evil inclinations of humans and, you know, does, does that take effect in that, in that level? So in the world of Yitzira, there is no evil whatsoever. There's no Yitzhahora whatsoever. In fact, the Yitzhahora, perfect timing, the Yitzhahora only shows up in, uh, in, right, like, in the final membrane between Yitzhira and Asiya, God, like, adds in, like, the dark side. Because Yitzhahara is just there as, like, a sprinkling. It's this last kind of little membrane here before the physical world. So there is no evil and there's no Yitzhahara anywhere in the world of Yitzhira. Okay, now... Now we've got this. Uh, uh, I just want to discuss these conduits. So these conduits that are taking things from the infinite oneness to physicality are just like our electrical lines. Okay, the Jerusalem power plant, let's say, is pumping out, let's say, 100 million volts. Now that 100 million volts is going down through lines of, of cable that conduct the electricity. It's hitting step-down converters. Probably the power plant itself shoots it out in a hundred step-down converters. So a hundred million volts becomes a million volts for each wire that's going to different areas of Jerusalem. Keeps stepping down, keeps stepping down until it hits a neighborhood, let's say, at at 100,000 volts or something or maybe more. And then it's stepped down again to hit each home at 220. This is the similar thing, is God sending down that oneness, that sorry, that infinite light energy. And it's coming down, it's being stepped down. Realm after realm, it's being it's being stepped down and stepped down and stepped down and stepped down in order for it to be usable in the end. Just like, you know, if if there was a power surge, God forbid, the and the step-down converters didn't do their jobs. So you, it could be these light bulbs would just go like, you know, it would blow through everything. And that, by the way, is prophecy. Prophecy is when there's been, I don't know if you want to say there's been more light put in the world, but let's just say God lessens the filters for one individual. So that's all prophecy is, is one individual had a lessening of the filtering of the infinite light. Sinai was the lesser was the lessening of the filtering of of the entire nation. Meaning, when God brought us to Sinai, He basically like lessened the filters for the entire nation of how much that inf- that light is filtered. Were was the Jewish people were then level three at that point? Were the Jewish people what? Were they were they were like on the level of Berea. So their bodies died and their souls wanted to go up. Yeah, they were on like the level of Berea. By the way, this line here, this between Asiya and Yitzira, is, meaning remember yesterday in our analogy, it was the opaque, seemingly opaque. Why do I say seemingly? Because there is prophecy. Sometimes God lets light permeate for an individual or for the Jews at Sinai. But... The reason why we have that 
seemingly opaque veil between us and the light is for two reasons. One is to give you physical existence. If we didn't have, if the light shone, if a light shone through my clothes, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be wearing clothes. These clothes only exist in the absence of God, so to speak, meaning in the absence of that light. You know, like people want to see God. You don't want to see God. If you saw God, you wouldn't exist. The only reason you, that you exist is because you can't see God. Can you understand where we're coming from here? It's a very deep concept, but do you get that, Michael? Did you get that? You want me to say it again? Say my name. What? My name. No, not your name. <laughs> you what? You know I know your name. Do you want to, what? You're great with I'm amazing with Do you want to... No, no, I understand. Oh, you did? Yeah. So that was the reason that Moshe couldn't see God face to face, so to speak, because he would cease to exist at that point? Exactly. When Moses asked to see God, right? So God says to him, you can't, no one can see me and live. That's the word. Or no man can see me and live. That's what he says. But then when you click on that, what it means is, if you saw God, you wouldn't see anything. All you'd see is God. It would only be God that you saw. Okay. Now, the light steps down and steps down and steps down. And here, it actually is like an opaque, it's like a one-way mirror where the light permeates this way, but you can't see up it. And that's what gives us physical existence. That's how we're here right now, to exist. But that gives you something else as well. And the other thing it gives you is free will. Prophets don't have a lot of free will. Can you imagine after a prophecy? You know, now God's like, put the filters back on. Now the prophet's like, whoa, you know. And, but it's morning time, it's time to put on his tefillin. Can you imagine the prophet's like, I don't know if I really want to get my tefillin on today, you know. You're kidding. He puts his tefillin on like he breathes, you know. It's like, he puts his tefillin on like he drink a cup of water. It's not, it's no longer, you know, a major free will decision to put on tefillin or not because the, the light is still, you know, within him, so to speak, from his prophecy. So too, or not so true. The opposite is true, though. For us who don't see through the light, we are we have real free will because you're always in the test. You're always inside the matrix trying to figure out whether to do a mitzvah or not, whether to be in yeshiva or not, whether to do the right thing or not. Yeah, Michael. So when Shiach comes, we then move from an area of Asiya to an area of Yitzira, or when Mashiach comes, we'll stay in Asiya. We will stay in his, yeah. Only more will come, more light will come through. But that, that opaque uh, film of the Yetzer is... Not the Yetzer, it's the opaque... Uh, you could the maybe... The Yetzer horror, though. That's, that's not the, what the Yetzer is. But anyway, that last that last filter that God put in place, would it would still be there as well. But it wouldn't be as strong. It would be a lighter shade, yeah. Isn't there a, a like equal and opposite level of... Uh, like darkness from the light 
an equal and opposite darkness from the light? No. Yeah, like the amount of light that's coming through, you're just saying that it's that one little filter that adds the aura. But if it's a big not the aura, that adds the physical allows for physicality. Well, it allows for the physicality, but yeah, it relates to the aura, but it's not the aura. Go on. But in the in the Garden of Eden, there was like, or not outside of the Garden of Eden, or no, in the Garden of Eden, there was fifty percent inclination to do. So you know, to do good, and then fifty percent for Yitzhak. There's fifty percent what pulling in both directions of what to do, whether to eat from the tree or whether not to. But there was a balance. Yeah. So then, what kind of balance is within this light? No balance. There's the light is the light is. I don't know what the ratio would be. Uh, it's like 10 million trillion gazillion volts to one is the dark to the light there's no balance at all so is this saying that the Yetzirah is a purely human physical creation and what's that? is this saying that the Yetzirah is purely a human creation that's just that's going to be Yetzirah Yetzirah is not a God created God created a physical world by filtering out light well now that he created a physical world that filtered out light that world would be called what? what do you call filtered light? like for example if you look at my hand over here on the wall see that shadow? okay you see the image of my hand? okay what is that image of my hand? out of focus yeah that's true but what is it? because it's, it's the absence of light exactly what's it, another word for the absence of light Dark. darkness my, that image of my hand is where the light isn't when you watch a film an action, let's say you're watching an action film the image on that screen is where the light isn't if you see the guy running and chasing the guy that's where the light isn't that's where the cell of film was blocking light so that there could be that image now God created us with both spiritual side and animalistic side. We share the desires of the animal kingdom. Survival and reproduction, which is survival's like money and ego and stuff like that, and the reproduction sexuality. We share that. Okay. Now if I didn't have a Yeta if there wasn't a physical world with its things that pull pull me then I would just take my sexuality and I'd take my needs to survive and I would direct them towards God all the time God please feed me God please you know give me a spouse to to be physically active with but what happened was at the very very end God just sprinkled in I don't know I'm going to say he sprinkled in anything really Let's just say, yeah, forget sprinkling, sorry. That was something. God sprinkled in the, their, the possibility of dark side, of physicality. By the way, this whole world is made of dark side. Okay, it's all from the dark side. It's, we have, in, yeah, but we ourselves have an animal draw. God gave us, why did God have to give us the same pull towards physicality as animals couldn't he have skipped that 
Otherwise, we wouldn't have free will. Yeah, we wouldn't have any free will, and our our decision to be close to God would be meaningless. Your choosing to come close to God is meaningless if you don't have an equal and opposite pull the other way. So he gave you an animal nature, just like a dog. You're a dog. No offense. Okay, I'm a dog. We're all dogs. You know. Now, what does a dog do? A dog sees the female dog on the other side of the street, goes, runs across the other side of the street. You know, you're a dog. Yeah. Next time you're on the street, just say woof 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 woof. Just catch yourself. You're you're a dog. You're part dog. But he also gave inside a person. We have two creations. If you read the story of Adam and Eve, Adam starts as a Homo sapien, just a dog. He's just a physical being with its desires. Then God blew into Adam what's called a nishmas chayim, a living soul. And that's the other part of us. We have I have a part of me that's very giving and very caring, no ego, and just wants the best for you and sees myself in you. You know, I see me and, and Paul or me and Josh as we're one. That's my soul. My body says competition, you know. Competition, more for you is less for me. Yeah, if, if we are, our physicality is the absence of life, how can we have light within the darkness? So, we don't. A prophet could. We don't have light within the darkness. We have darkness and darkness and darkness. Inside, can you see it? You know, the Russians would put you in an MRI and say, see, there's no soul. You, know, the, you can't see it. All the stuff in the world. You can experience it. You can feel the the fight between doing the right thing and the wrong thing. You can feel the fight between yeshiva and career. Even though those don't fight in the end, but they might fight now. I mean, there's nothing wrong with learning in yeshiva and having a career afterwards. But you may feel a fight now over those two things. So that, you may feel it, but you can't see it. It's not, you can't detect it with instrumentation. Yes. So I noticed that you named the four types of existence, and you see it as a filter, but there's no need for these filters. So I get the feeling that these filters are just purely metaphor to help us understand what's actually going on. None of this exists. I mean, it all exists, but nothing in the physical world. It's as if analogy. It's not, but it's not quite analogy. I mean, all there really is is God. First of all, all there is is God. Secondly, God creates the world. What more do you need to know? Except that when you click on God creates, the word creates, then you get this whole system. But this whole system, no time took place and no space took place. There is no time elapse between here and here. Time has to do with the Earth's relationship to the sun, which is another created thing. Like I have a riddle. Was there ever a time that got, that there wasn't creation? <laughs> Time's a created thing too. You know this is like mind-boggling stuff. We're, we're doing very cosmic stuff. Much better than whatever's going on with some nuthead upstairs. He left? 
You kicked him out? Me and the four other guys picked him up. You had to pick him up? We, we, we had to physically take off the tefillin and so on and so on. No. Why? Was he making noise? Playing as loud as he could. No. The rabbi's like, oh, dude. Somebody went downstairs and before you know it. Some bigger guys came? The bigger guys came. Took him out. Okay, let's go back to our class. So, anyway, but they, everyone's getting the idea, getting the picture. There's no time elapsed here, and there's no space at all. And I'll tell you just an interesting thing. I find it interesting. Not everyone thinks it's interesting, but it's all the stuff that the Kabbalists go into. For you know, we got thousands of years of tradition. We got thousands of years of tradition about this. I don't know if you find this interesting. I find it interesting is that it's totally superfluous to living as a Jew. You don't have to know all this stuff. You say God created the world, and that's it. Okay, where's my tefillin? And then all this stuff is superfluous to living as a good Jew. Why then does the Kabbalah have this massive, massive, massive detail? I mean, I'm giving you like the broadest strokes possible of like very fine Kabbalistic work. Why do the Kabbalists go through massive pains and hours and hours and their wives are working and raising kids all in perseverance for the husband to be able to continue his Kabbalistic work and, you know, to the point where there's like books that would fill this whole room without being redundant on the details of, the crea- of how the creation works and come- came about and runs. Those two subjects came about and runs. And but yet it's all superfluous to living as a good Jew. So why do we have that? And people actually died for it. And risked their lives and died to do it. Yeah? It has to have implications for our lives. I mean, all knowledge of creation, all knowledge, well, in two ways. One is that any knowledge of God brings us closer to God. So in that sense, anything really is that in. Well said, well said, yeah. Two, also... Imagine the manner in which God creates the world every moment, even say moment, um, has some implications or some lesson to be learned for our own life. What that is, I'm struggling to find out right now, but. Well, one, yeah, like one classic one is stop letting your past rule your present. If you recreate it every moment, then it doesn't. You don't, you don't have a past, you only have something to learn from, meaning you can learn from mistakes of the past. You can plan for the future. <laughs> don't live in either one, because neither one exists. Meaning you're, ins- it would be called, I would say that's some form of insanity, wouldn't you? Meaning if sanity is God's creating the world now, insanity is, is still focusing on what he created then. It's human nature as well, though. It's insane, though. It's, well, it's, not it's human nature true. to be insane. Mm. This is insane, too. <laughs> insane, cool. Yeah, I mean, but. Oh, all these classes are not, ba- these are not proof classes here. These are based, you know how you, these work, by the way? Meaning, how do you get to, how do you know this is true? You want to know how you, you could know all this is true? It would have to be associative truth, contiguous truth. It's contiguous on something else. What is it contiguous on? Number one, God gave the Torah to begin with. I mean, I have to verify, right, let's go back further. First of all, verifying there's a God. Secondly, verifying that he gave the Torah. Thirdly, verifying that our sages 
who were vested with the responsibility of, of, of transmitting that Torah and all its law and all its oral law knew what they were talking about. And were honest. And were honest and straight and were really doing their best to make sure there's efficacy in, in the transmission of the oral tradition. Once I've established those three, though, God, Torah, rabbis, once those three are established, well, then I want to know what the rabbis say. Well, the one thing the rabbis say is like oral law, like, for example, how to slaughter an animal. All the Torah says is slaughter it according to my instructions. Do you know that's all it says? So, like, you're like, wow, I really feel like a burger. You know, let's find those instructions. You know, flipping through the book. You know, and you're like, hey, man, there's no instructions in here. Someone says, yeah, dummy, you know, you got to go look at the oral law. The oral law, meaning the rabbis pass down orally what is the instructions. And by the way, you know what the Talmud says? The Talmud itself says on this that this sentence in the Torah is one of the greatest proofs of the oral law. Meaning all the all the anti-oral law cults that used to be way back when, you know, like the Sadducees, you heard of the Sadducees? You know why they're called the Sadducees? It's very Sadducee. And the anyway, the all those oral law anti-oral law cults, which all faded away anyway, they um what are they supposed to do with sentence like that? You know, they believed the written law was real. They followed it. What they do? They didn't eat meat because it says you can slaughter, you slaughter it according to my instructions. There are no instructions. So anyway, that's oral law. But guess what, guys? Unlike today, unlike today, when you want to go to a halachic rabbi, you go to one of these yeshiva rabbis. But if you want to meet some Kabbalist, you got to go to like some Sephardi synagogue in town and there's even fewer Ashkenazi places to find the Kabbalist. Well, guess what? Back in the day when our rabbis were the rabbis of the Talmud, Mishnah of the Talmud, all those rabbis, guess what? One-stop shop. Same guys. The same guy who was teaching you what a pair of tefillin looks like was the same guy who was telling you how to like, you know, all about reincarnation. And all about how the world was created and stuff. They're the same exact people. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who wrote the Zohar, is every time you read a Mishnah that says, and Rabbi Shimon says, right, Rabbi Shimon Omer, and that doesn't mean Simon says, okay? Whenever it says, Rabbi Shimon Omer, guess which Rabbi Shimon that's referring to? That's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai from our Mishnah. It's the same guy. So you see how we know this stuff's real? How do we know this stuff's real? Because if I know there's a God and that's real, and I know he gave the Torah and that's real, and I know the Torah begs for an oral law, which then has these rabbis, and I've checked out the character of such rabbis to know what kind of people, if you can call them that compared to what people are like today, but what kind of people brought down the oral law to transmit it with accuracy at the risk of their life and death, and often even risking Jewish continuity. You see, let me explain that one. Meaning, meaning, the rabbis would bring down stuff that would like flip, like be more than the nation could handle at that point. Do you think the rabbis said, oh, well, they can't really handle this, let's water it down? You think that's what they said, Reese? No, <laughs> this is Torah. Torah is the benchmark, okay? If the nation can't hack it, it doesn't mean they're not Jewish anymore. It just means that they're going to have a hard time with this. 
And you know, some will make it and some won't, but you're still a Jew and do your best. But we don't change the Torah just because the generation can't hack it. Which means, one of the main implications of that is the rabbis aren't here to control us. So many people have this idea that the rabbis are here to like control us, keep us around, kind of a corral. They're going to corral us in, you know, keep us Jewish. No, the rabbis will bring down stuff that will send you packing. And you might say, like, but rabbis, what's the point, you know, if you're going to, like, if it's a turnoff to this generation or people can't stand up, kids can't stand up to that. And the answer is, our job's Torah transmission. We bring down Torah transmission. No one's asking you to be an angel. But do you want, I mean, I'll ask you, do you want me to start watering down my classes now so, like, it just fits right in with the way you live? Or would you like me to just be a kind person who accepts you for where you live, but when I say Torah, I say the Torah the way the Torah is? What do you prefer? Right. I'll take the truth, please, and I'll make my own decisions on how I deal with it. Accept, but don't approve. What? Right. And I accept you. I can't approve of you breaking this law or that law, but I can certainly accept you as a human being who's trying his best. It's always the belief system. Now, um... Uh, it was a pleasure speaking to you all. I hope you enjoyed this class called um, How Light Becomes Matter. Kabbalah class number two. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.